Good evening. I'm Rick Cottam. Welcome to your Maryland. In August 1839, a Scottish nobleman decided to stage a medieval tournament at his castle in honor of his late countryman, Sir Walter Scott. The great author had died in 1832, leaving much of Britain and the American South infatuated with romantic novels like Waverley and Ivanhoe. Lord Eglinton intended nothing like a real tournament, which would have been a ferocious, bloody spectacle. Knights charging one another in what was called the joust often meant business. And until Henry II outlawed it, the joust was followed by the Grand Ballet, in which two small armies hacked away with real swords, maces, and battle axes. All this took place before a mixed crowd, including supposedly refined women, who roared like hockey fans. Eglinton opted for a much gentler version, one that emphasized costumes, pageantry, and horsemanship. His knights would attempt to spear little rings, or try to knock down a wooden dummy called a quintain. When they heard of his plans, dozens of wealthy Americans eagerly took ship for Scotland that summer. Among them was William Gilmore, the son of a prominent Baltimore family. Like everyone who witnessed the costume opera at Eglinton Castle, Gilmore returned full of romantic notions and decided to stage his own tournament the next year at the Vineyard, his estate near what is now 29th and Greenmount. He invited a number of wealthy friends from Maryland and Virginia, told them to create medieval costumes, and asked that they come a few days early so they could practice riding at the rings and the quintain. Looking back, adding the quintain was probably a mistake. It was a wooden horse with an auger hole bored down through the saddle. A wooden rider was anchored on the horse by weights on chains dropped through the hole. A knight who hit it squarely with his lance might knock it over, but hitting it off-center caused it to spin, at which unhappy moment its long wooden arms lashed out to smack the rider in the face or in the back of the head as he rode by. Gilmore might not have known it, but the evil machine's sole purpose on a medieval jousting field was to inflict pain and humiliation. After pitting himself against Gilmore's quintain all day, one guest rode his splendid black charger off the estate and right into the Jones Falls, swearing loudly that he'd never get on a horse again. Somehow, though, the tournament came off splendidly. The quintain took its toll, but occasionally the knights got it right. Rings were speared, ladies clapped politely, and the champion offered his crown to his favorite, whom he proclaimed the queen of love and beauty. All hailed Sir Walter Scott, who would have found the whole business a trifle silly, but the South had fallen in love. After the vineyard tournament, jousting spread like wildfire below the Mason-Dixon line, though the diabolical quintain was quickly discarded. The Civil War put a stop to tournaments, but they returned with a flourish afterward, often as a means to raise money for the Southern relief. In 1869, a tournament at Brooklynwood in Baltimore County had carriages backed up all the way to Riderwood. Unfortunately, by then a new, far more cynical day had dawned, the Gilded Age. The doings of the so-called chivalry of the Middle Ages were absurd enough, even when they were brutally and bloodily in earnest, Mark Twain snarled in 1870, but those doings gravely reproduced with tinsel decorations and mock pageantry by bucolic gentlemen with broomstick lances and muffin rings to represent the foe is absurdity gone crazy. In 1884, instead of selecting his queen of love and beauty, one champion took his crown and rode off with it. It got worse. By the 1890s, knights were riding bicycles, and in 1915 they drove cars with women trying to spear rings from the passenger seat. Today, the best of jousting, the horsemanship, the skill, the good time, survives as Maryland's state sport, 
But as someone once said, what a long, strange ride it's been. Mm-hmm.